Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. We have a uh, good group. I see that we still have some who are in for the holidays, and we're certainly glad to see all of our visitors here with us and want you to know that you're welcome to be with us any chance that you have to be here. We are in the book of Hebrews, and we are, believe it or not, beginning to wind down. And of course, our theme throughout the book of Hebrews has been uh, encouraging one another. I didn't put our slide up there, but we encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And we've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence that we had at first. Y'all had all that, right? All right. You were mouthing it along with me. But we encourage one another. But our writer in encouraging us, Throughout the book of Hebrews has issued some warnings, warning against falling away, warning against drifting away, warning against all these other things, you know, being having our hearts hardened, warning against uh, going away from God's word. All these there were all these warnings. And so what we have this morning is the final warning, more or less, in the book of Hebrews. We're going to kind of finish up chapter 12, more or less more or less, this morning. And then we get to chapter 13, which chapter 13 is a lot like I am sometimes when it's got to come down to the end and you didn't get all the information in there, so you just throw a bunch of things out there at the end. That's kind of what chapter 13 is. And I don't have any more slides today other than other than this one because even today's lesson, I couldn't make it just make Really good sense for me to where I could put it in the outline and, and do, you know, kind of like I normally do. But how many of you, you know, this is, this is the, the writer's final warning. I want to ask you how many of you have gotten those letters in the mail that says final notice, you know, or something like that. Uh, and what we see here is, is our writer wants to get some important information across here as he closes. So beginning in verse 14 of chapter 12, he writes, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up, grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. After, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring a, he could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? 
at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I know that's kind of a lengthy reading, but our writer here is offering us his last warning. The last thing he wanted to say to these people as far as trying to get them, get them ready. And he talks a little bit at the very beginning about how that we ought to live in peace with all men and be holy. For without holiness, we cannot see God. You know, I guess there is a fine line. Between understanding that we sin and wanting to forgive and accept each other and comfort each other and encourage each other and all of that. There's a fine line between that and just accepting sin. You know, the Bible over and over again challenges us as Christians to be better people. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. In the Old Testament, and Peter quotes it often in his two books. He says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. And be ye holy As I am holy. I got it mixed up. Be holy as I am holy. God says. And here the writer of Hebrews says. Without holiness we cannot see God. Yes we will make mistakes. Yes we need to help each other. Yes we need to forgive each other. Yes we need to comfort each other. When we do make those mistakes. But we should never just accept sin as an inevitability. We should never just accept sin in our own lives. Or other people's lives. Each other's lives. We need to challenge each other. Remember he talked about spurring one another on. To love and good works earlier in chapter 10. We need to want to be holy people. We need to be living our lives in a holy manner. Set apart from the world and dedicated to God's service. Yeah, when we sin, we sin. But we shouldn't be casual about it. It shouldn't just be a ho-hum thing. We should be brought to our knees in repentance. And it ought to make us go on to strive to be better and to not sin anymore. We have to be holy people, God tells us. And he goes on and talks about Esau. He says, you don't want to be like Esau. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, what does Esau have to do? Did Esau just kind of pop into his mind at the end of this letter? No, I don't think so. Remember that the whole foundation of the letter, the whole circumstance of the letter, is that there were these Christians who had grown up as Jews. And then they had become Christians. And now, many of them were on the verge of giving up on their Christianity, turning back on their back on their Christianity and going back to their Jewish way of life, their Jewish lifestyle. 
under the law of Moses and all these different things. And throughout this letter to the Hebrews, he keeps saying, why? Why? Why would you want to do that? Because what you have in Christ, what you have because of Christ is so much better by far than what our ancestors had under the old way of life. It was good. It was, it was necessary. It had a purpose, but it didn't fulfill anything. Jesus fulfilled everything, including the old law. And so we remember Esau. Esau was the oldest son of Isaac and Rebekah. And Esau, you know, decided that uh, he, uh, uh, he came in, you know, Jacob and Esau. And Esau came in from the field and he was starving to death. Any of you ever said that? Starving to death. My guess is there's probably nobody in this room who's ever been starving to death. I may have felt like it, but, you know. But Esau thought he was starving to death. And Jacob says, well, you know, I've got this stew. And you can almost see Jacob, you know, because he was a, you know. he's And he's, he's blowing the, you know. Oh, man. I know. All of y'all are like, how long is this going to take? I'm hungry now, okay? You can smell it, too. And Esau's like, oh, i got to have that stew. And Jacob says, all right, just sell me your birthright. And he's all said, okay, okay. Because at that moment, Jacob's birthright, or Esau's birthright, just didn't mean much to him. The kids would say, sort of, that he disrespected his birthright. And so for a bowl of stew, he sells his birthright. And what our writer is saying here, look, you people have been given a greater birthright than Esau ever could dream about. Don't disrespect it. Don't disrespect what you have in Christ by going back to the old way of life. Don't do that. And he says, because if you do, there will come a time in which that birthright will be taken away from you permanently. Now, Unlike Esau here, remember, you know, Esau tried to get it back and he couldn't. And there were some other things that went on, you know, and we've talked about this. We talked before kind of in some of these verses that, you know, we can we can walk away from God. But if we're willing to repent. If we're willing to come back to him. He is always willing to accept us. You that have been here on Sunday nights when we were doing the story of the prodigal son. That's one of the lessons we get from the prodigal son. You can never go so far away from God that if you're willing to repent and come back, he will not accept you. Now, there will come a time. We'll talk more about this in a minute. There will come a time. Where the opportunity to repent and come back will be passed. We don't want to reach that point. We don't ever want to be in that situation, vicarious situation where we don't know what is going to happen. We want to always be in a right relationship with God. And he tells them to not let a bitter root grow up 
And I'm reminded of the parable of the sower where the, 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 the crop grew and then all the thorns and the weeds came in and choked it out. He's warning them against that. And then he makes this interesting comparison and contrast to the two mountains. As we read that, I don't know, you know, if you get that or quite got that. But he said, you've not come to the mountain like the mountain that the Israelites came to. It was filled with dread and fear and smoke and fire and things like that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 10. And this is where Moses is about to get ready to go up onto Mount Sinai to receive the law, receive the Ten Commandments and the law. And in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of all the people. But put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up on the mountain. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. And they washed their clothes and he said to them, prepare yourselves for the third day and abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. When Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God, they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. That does not sound like a pleasant time God is going to come down and you people need to be around the mountain but what don't you dare touch the mountain not you or not your animals because anybody that touches the mountain will be killed and they're either going to be stoned Or they're going to be shot with arrows because you will have so defiled yourself that nobody is to put their hands on you. Wow. That's pretty serious. And then they get up and they go to the mountain and we got clouds and we got thunder and we got fire and we got trembling and the, and the whole mountain is shaking. We got all these kinds of things. That's not my kind. I, I just don't like that. I, I would not want to be a part of that. That is scary. The other night was a Wednesday night. It was out when the storm came through, you know? Scary stuff. I'd gotten up early, early that morning to go hunting. So I was tired. I went to bed. I am just about asleep. And my phone goes off. Tornado warning. Kenny said, what is it? I said, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. And a couple minutes later, it went off again. She said, well, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. And then I was just, you know how you just get to that deep, deep sleep. And my phone goes, bing. And it's my daughter. 
And she says, are you watching the weather? And I said, no, I'm asleep. And all of a sudden I'm listening and I, I hear the tornado siren. Uh Oh, that kind of got my attention. I got my parents staying with us. Michelle and, and Keller are with us. I'm thinking, what do I do now? So I get up and I'm trying to think about it. And then the, but, then, but, but then the siren went off. I'm like, okay, must all be good. So I open the front door. And water is flooding down my driveway. Guan's water is flooding down my driveway. <laughs> Coming off of her hill. And so I got a barricade to make sure, you know. But I, I, the thunder, the lightning, the, you know, sometimes I kind of like that, but not right in the middle of it. And the writer here says, look, look, you really want to go back to the old way of life? To where the mountain that represented God was like that? Remember, we talked about, we talked about this. The whole part of the whole point of the old law was to show the separation between man and God. But he says here, you haven't gone to that type of mountain that our forefathers did. You've come to Mount Zion. The heavenly Jerusalem. The city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to Jesus, a mediator of a new covenant. He says, that's not the mountain that has been promised to you, that mountain of gloom and doom and thunder and lightning and fire and smoke. You've come to a mountain filled with angels singing, filled with the church Filled with Jesus. Why would you give up on that to go back? That was a dreadful place. That was something that was only, only had, had bad images about it. But you have it so much better. So he says, essentially, therefore, in verse 25, he says, do not... See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Have you ever been refused for something? You know how it makes you feel. It makes you kind of feel angry. Maybe feel hurt. Years ago when Kenny and I first got married. We didn't have a credit card of any kind. We didn't have any credit, basically, of any kind. And so I was advised that, you know, when you start off, you need to kind of begin to establish a little credit. And so I'm, okay. So we had this gas station around the corner from where we lived. It was a Gulf gas station, if you remember Gulf from the old days. And so I got, you know, you go in there, and they had the little applications there. It didn't do anything online back then. There was no online back then. So I fill out the application, put a stamp on it, mail it off to Gulf, and I get a letter back. Rejected. You can't have a credit card. Now, at the time, I was working. Kenny was working. We didn't have any debt. We were making decent money. We thought we were rich back then, but anyway, we were making kind of decent money. And so I called Gulf Oil Credit Department, and I said, why can't I get a credit card? 
because you have no credit. Well, I understand I have no credit. That's why I want a credit card. At some point, everybody has no credit and has to get some. They said, nope, not going to give you any. I said, okay. So there was a mobile station right across the street from the Gulf Station. So I got an application to mobile. And I sent it in. And I get it back. Rejected. You can't have a credit card. So I call mobile credit. And I said, why can't I have a credit card? Because you have no credit. But this lady listened. And understood where I was coming from. And said, what we will do is we will give you a provisional credit card. That had like a very low maximum, you know, that you could have. And they said, you know, if you pay on time and do all that, then eventually it will turn into a real credit card or whatever. But when you get rejected, how does it make you feel? I'll tell you how it made me feel. I wrote a letter to the president of Gulf Oil Company. Informing him that for the rest of my life, I would never buy a gallon of gas from Gulf Oil. And I never did until they merged with mobile. (laughs) So, you know. (sighs) But he says here, do not refuse God. You can refuse a lot of things, but do not refuse God. He says, be thankful, thankful for the better covenant, thankful for the better sacrifice, thankful for the better blood, thankful for the better prophet, the better high priest, the better kingdom, all these things he's been talking about. He says, do not refuse him, but be thankful. And in verse 28, he says, and worship acceptably in reverence and awe. You know, when it comes to our worship, and he talks about this again in chapter 13, but, but when it comes to our worship, again, there's kind of that fine line between joy. Should we be joyful in our worship? Absolutely. Shouldn't we be joyful in our praises when we sing God, sing to God? Absolutely. Shouldn't we be joyful when we're here together with one another? Absolutely. But don't forget the reverence and all. Don't forget the reverence and awe. I stand in awe of you, we sing. Do we really? Do we really stand in awe of God and what he has done for us? And treat our worship together, yes, with joy and thanksgiving, but also with honor and respect for who God is? That's important. And then he says in verse 29... Therefore, 28 and 29, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, doesn't that give you hope, promise? You know, I would not want to live in an earthquake zone. You know, California or any of those, I wouldn't, lots of reasons, but anyway, they, you know, they got the earthquake thing out there. You know, I would not want to live where earthquakes are a, a thing. 
Because the idea, especially if you're up in one of them high rises. I saw earthquake. Remember 1972 or whatever it was? I know most of you don't remember that. But anyway. And you can tell me all you want to that this building is earthquake proof. I ain't buying it. Uh, 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 uh. Nothing is nothing proof. The Titanic was unsinkable for about 30 minutes. You know, but what a writer is saying here is he goes back to what he was talking about, about the mountain, about the trembling and all of that. And he said, there's going to come another trembling. God is going to bring about the trembling and the shaking and all. He's going to bring all that about again. But you are in a shake free setting. The kingdom you have cannot be shaken. God's going to shake everything around it. God's going to destroy everything around it. But the kingdom will not be shaken. And you are a part of that kingdom. And then he reminds them, for our God is a consuming fire. Remember what he said a little earlier. What a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. God's love, mercy, justice, and grace, he gives to us. God is patient, patient, patient. Beyond comprehension. But like in the days of Noah, and like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, there comes, a, and like with Israel and Judah, there comes a time when God's patience will end. And for those who refuse God, And his son. He will be a consuming fire. Reluctantly I think. God will be that consuming fire. You know. We just had Christmas. And and, you know Peyton's a little older. But Keller and, and Paige. They're just at that age. Where the Christmas tree is a cool thing. You know? It's all Kenya's fault for decorating it to look so nice. But it's just hard for those little less than two-year-olds to stay away from the ornaments. If you're going to decorate a Christmas tree and have a two-year-old in the house, you should start putting the ornaments this high up on the tree. Just leave the bottom part naked. But you know... They go to touch it and the moms or the grandparents or whoever don't touch the ornaments. Don't touch the ornaments. Don't touch the ornaments. But then finally, finally, there comes that moment of judgment. Ah! I said, don't touch the orange. If you would have just listened to what I said, if you would have just done what I asked, neither one of us would have had to go through that pain. But you wouldn't listen. 
I was patient as long as I could be patient. But then judgment came. And you know what we have figured out? 18-month-old kids are smart. They are smart. About the third or fourth time that judgment came for Keller, he realized he was not supposed to touch the tree with his hand. So he'd walk up to it with his head. And touch the ornaments with his head. What are you thinking? Just like his mama. But our writer gives us the final warning. Do not refuse him. Do not refuse God. If you're here this morning and we help or encourage you in any way, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2800. Nine six. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.